You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krim. On today's episode, we're going to have Shapin Tajani, the president and CEO of Victory Square Technologies, and he's going to be joined by Matt Bailey, the founder CEO of Game On. Shapin is helping Matt take his company public, so this is a chance to see how the sausage is really made. Enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the breakout room because we're going to do it a couple more times. But welcome to Diffuse Tap. Briefly, so you know what is on the what is on tap. Um, we're going to briefly talk about Diffuse and this event, Diffuse Tap, what it's all about. We're going to do a fireside chat for about 15 minutes with Shafin and Matt. And then we're going to do two more rounds, breakout rooms, pretty much like you just did, um, with a little bit longer, give you a chance to network some new folks uh, about Diffuse. That's what uh, Isla and I, it's where we, where we are. What we do is uh, fund in a box. So we incubate new funds. We work both with asset allocators who are looking for exposure to particular asset classes and have a difficult or are finding it difficult to find it. And we also work with emerging managers and work them through every step of running a fund from back of the envelope to full liquidation. We are truly a partner for every fund we work with. One of those funds is Aaron Capital, which is a public sector litigation finance fund that is working towards a first close here in the next probably month or two. So we're very excited to see Grant go off. And if you want to learn more about that, please don't hesitate to reach out. And then also Diffuse Digital 30 is, as far as we know, the world's first digital asset index fund. It's top 30 cryptocurrencies, market cap weighted, monthly rebalance. Think of it as a Vanguard ETF for digital assets. And that's going live in a couple of weeks. So uh, do not be shy by hitting us up if that's of interest. Diffuse Tap is the event you're in right now. It is every Wednesday at 10 Central. It's heavy on the networking, as you saw on the agenda. It's about 45 minutes of meeting other emerging managers across the globe. Um, we usually get four or five continents represented in a given week. 15 minutes of it, as you saw, is insights from an expert talking about something we think the uh, community will find intriguing. And then we also do have a sister event called the Allocators, which is for fund LPs, people who are actively investing in alternative funds, gives them a chance to come together, discuss what they're seeing, compare notes, network, I don't know, collaborate, uh, very similar format to this one. So if you know anybody who you think would be a good fit for that, do not be shy about sending them our way. Today's speakers, and I'm not going to do intros, I'm just going to say the names and let them do it. Uh, Shafin Diamond-Tajani and Matt Bailey. Shafin, do you want to start off briefly what you're all about? Um, thanks, everyone, and uh, appreciate you guys inviting Matt and I to come speak. So uh, my background, I started in the uh, online dating space in the mid-90s out of my dorm room at university. You know, kind of saw how the internet was going to disrupt the way we we accessed information and uh, work, played, and communicate. And we were very fortunate to have a, a business at that time that was that was generating revenue. Uh, and we built this business model of a, of a venture build where we would buy, build, and invest in businesses that we could port users from our dating site onto other things that they were they were doing, or to businesses that were solving pain points within that uh, particular space. So. Q, 20 years later, we've been very fortunate to have had two decades of experience, um, you know, on six, being early on successive waves from Internet 1.0 uh, to mo mobile to kind of the disruptive tech um, like crypto and blockchain and, and AI of tomorrow. Um, Victory Square Technologies, um, which is a current company, was formed in 2017. It's publicly traded on, uh, on the CSC in Canada, the OTCQX in the U.S. and on Frankfurt. Uh, the goal of VST was to kind of democratize access 
uh, for retail investors to get access to the, the next best tech companies kind of around the world. Ground floor access as opposed to kind of investing in, in a Coinbase when it's at a, you know, $100 billion. Um, and our portfolio companies are in sectors such as uh, digital health, uh, gaming, blockchain, VR and AR, uh, cybersecurity and cloud computing. Great. Really appreciate it. That's really fascinating. I'm going to have to go look up those, uh, those tickers here in the not too distant future. Uh, Matt Bailey, you're also on mute, but do you want to briefly talk about your background and game on? Yes. Yes. Thanks for having me again. Um, I see some familiar faces from the first time we were on. I'm uh, Matt Bailey, CEO at, at Game On Entertainment Technologies. Uh, we work with content providers uh, in sports and entertainment. So that could be teams, leagues, networks, sports books, uh, and work with them on making their content more social and engaging through things like uh, prediction games and gamification. Uh, so that's kind of the overview of the company. Um, just from a, from a business standpoint, we're working with uh, Shafin and, and the Victory Square guys on, on taking the company public on the Canadian Ex- Securities Exchange in, in just a few weeks. Uh, we wrapped up a pre-IPO financing of about 5.8 million Canadian um, not too long ago. And, and like I said, we're a few few weeks away from from listing on you know a small market cap exchange which is kind of an alternate path to the traditional vc route that startups at our stage uh, take so excited to kind of share that experience with everyone here today well that's great and uh congratulations on the the pre-ipo raise it's really exciting and a much bigger congratulations and this is how you know you made it you are actually the first speaker who is on twice on Diffuse Tap. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> so Observing well, your success firsthand. Ayla, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do you want to take it away? Ayla Crime is my partner in crime, folks. Uh, uh, Diffuse, do you want to take it away? Absolutely. So, why did you make the decision to actually go with an IPO versus this larger round? So um, the you know we were at a stage where we you know we were hit pretty significantly from uh, the pandemic and sports um, kind of going, falling off the edge of the earth, uh, but then we 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 did a deal uh, a white, our first white label deal with NBC Universal that um, you know kind of got us got some cash in the door got us um, in an exciting new period uh, new opportunity for for game on. Uh, and we were actually about to go out and, and try and raise our first real seed round. We had raised a few hundred thousand before that, friends, family, tech stars, a little bit of angels, uh, but we hadn't raised that seed round yet. And just as we were about to, um, Shaf uh, came, came to us. I'd known, I'd known him and the, and the crew for about a year at that point. And he, and he just uh, put, put a different opportunity on the table um, and, and said, look, um, merge with our existing company, V2 Games, uh, based in Vancouver. You'll be the CEO. Uh, we'll bring all the assets over uh, and we'll, we'll list and go public and raise money in, in that way. Uh, and I diligenced it for a long time, um, kind of got people on board with it, like Jay Moses, our, our chairman, who's a a director at Take Two Interactive currently, uh, and our chairman now. He was a big, he was a mentor of mine, still is, and was a big part of kind of diligence, diligencing that with me. Um, so getting him on board and talking to others and just taking a few months to really look at the opportunity um, got me excited and got the team excited about about doing this. Um, we wouldn't have done it without a partner like Victory Square 
being there with us. You know, the, the, they have a track record of doing this. Um, and I'll let Shaf kind of jump into some of the, the things they've done before game on, but they have a track record. They have the investor network and they really are the partner in all things going public and raising capital via those markets while we are focusing on the product and the business and growing the team. Um, so that's from my perspective, but Shaf, do you want to jump in and just give yeah. your thoughts on, on VC versus uh, the, the public market? Yeah, it's interesting because both uh, we're both uh, investors and entrepreneurs, so looking at it from kind of both perspectives, we got exposure uh, to the whole public markets about five, six years ago when we had three portfolio companies that weren't cash flowing. Um, they were more forward looking. You know, one was... Uh, in uh, the, the sports betting space before legalization. Uh, one was in the cannabis space and the other was in the, the blockchain space. And they were struggling. They were all based in Canada. They were all struggling to get access to, uh, you know, to VC funding with, with good terms. Um, and they all ended up kind of going public by this you know, CSC kind of uh, route where you go public in Canada first, then the US and then in Europe. And what we noticed was all three industries um, you know, connected with, with people all over the world. So going this route um, from an entrepreneurial perspective, these companies were able to access capital from retail investors and institutions globally that had an appetite for these verticals and spaces um, and like the fact that they were investing early in, in these companies. And then once listed, each of these entrepreneurs um, found it easier to raise capital under better terms. So no ratchet clauses, clawbacks. Each of these entrepreneurs still maintain board control and management control. Uh, and, and budget control of their businesses. Uh, and then they were able to use stock as a currency to go roll up assets and grow. And so uh, we found this as, you know, from an entrepreneurial or business perspective, you know, uh, uh, an alternative to, to going down the, the, the VC uh, route. As an investor, what was interesting to us is um, normally when you invest in a private company, you're locked in for a period of time. Uh, you know, the, the, your investment's not liquid, um, uh, you're kind of limited to, to the type of companies, let's say, based in your geographic region or within your network. The companies are rarely audited. Uh, you know, there's not as much transparency. And what we found was in each of these three cases, uh, the markets were giving these companies such forward-looking valuations because they're all kind of disrupt disruptive and early. But as an investor, it was amazing because you had liquidity. So the companies were audited. There's transparency. But most importantly, as an investor, you're not locked up for 10 years or, or five years for that matter. You had liquidity to, you know, to, to sell off some of your position as the, the business kind of uh, moved on um, and then reinvest that into other projects. So we found this very interesting from both an advantage, advantageous from both the company perspective and, um, you know, as, a, as, a, as an investor ourselves. And then one last thing I would say is that, you know, the, the, the cost and timeline wasn't too challenging, you know, within 90 to 120 days, if the company had its paperwork together or, or, or had an audit done, it could be listed um, and the cost, you know, to go through that whole process might've been about 250, uh, you know, grand and, and annual costs weren't as expensive as, as you know, you, as, as we would have imagined or thought. So um, we found it um, to, be, to be strategic for what, you know, our business model kind of, uh, you know, revolved around. So a lot of the folks here are gonna be pretty familiar with SPACs. How, how does your model contrast with the more traditional SPAC? When Shaf, you had a chance to answer, Matt, same question to you. I'm assuming you looked at other SPAC sponsors and what, what did that look like? We, we've been familiar with the special purpose vehicle and SPAC model for, for years. It's, you know, it's been around, but uh, in Canada, this uh, very similar model is called an RTO. 
where you'll have a shell that will have cash. Now it won't have a hundred million dollars. It might have, you know, three to $10 million in it. And, and then it goes and look for, looks for a deal. And so, you know, we've, we've always been familiar with this model. This has kind of a, been a model that's been prevalent on, you know, on the, on the Canadian side for, for a while. But what was interesting is like for Canadian companies. So our portfolio are companies from all over the world that we've kind of brought to Canada through this program called the startup visa. And when, you know, when you're doing your seed round, uh, or, or even your Series A, you're able to do them both concurrently. Uh, you know, via this via this model at a reasonable price. Um, you know, fairly fairly quickly. So, we saw this as a you know as a as, a, as an easier path for for earlier stage companies. Um, most of these junior exchanges also were predominantly mining. So, you know, they were investors that were investing in this space, looking at you know the the potential of something being under the ground. So, we felt that for for technology and startup companies that were Trying to do both their um, their uh, seed and Series A kind of concurrently, this was a better model. VCs would want you to you know be more established. And SPACs were looking. I think um, one of the gentlemen mentioned like you know I think you need to hit a minimum threshold of like 10 million ARR to kind of fit that that model. So this was kind of a really good you know fit fit for for Game On and for a lot of the projects that we kind of look at. Makes sense, Matt. On your end, yeah, I think. Um Shaq just hit the nail on the head in that we, uh, where we're at with Game On and how early we are, we don't we wouldn't qualify for the traditional, you know, SPAC requirements, uh, and we weren't really looking for something even like this. You know, truly, uh, I didn't know it's an option for uh, such an early stage startup like us, uh, and nor do many other founders. To, to be honest, that's one thing that I'm kind of you know, surprised at is that why didn't I know that this was a path I could go down? Uh, you know, Shaf and, and team proactively came to us about it. Um, we were already in their network, but, you know, it's just, it's just, it still blows my mind and I still don't know the answer as to why don't startups understand this is a path um, to access capital and to access growth and to get liquidity uh, versus, you know, the traditional the traditional VC route. It's not a sure success, you know. It's not. It's not a sure path to, you know, guaranteed success. But it's a. It's a viable path. And for us, it's unlocked capital. It's provided a tangible, uh, tangible stock to bring on people like Jay Moses on our board, or bring on our chief product officer from um, who just built NBA Top Shot at Dapper Labs, and before that built. FIFA at EA Sports, those two, and there are more, there are others as well, but like bringing on that caliber of talent is so much easier when we have that tangible stock. Um, so yeah, it's still, it still blows my mind why, you know, startups just don't understand or, or are educated on this path as a way to access and, and tap capital. I want to add just one thing to, to Matt's note too, is um, it, it's inevitably coming. I mean, I think you can look at you know, equity crowdfunding and, and you know, the, the, the changes to, you know, to reg A financing or even um, token generation events like the the current model is being disrupted on, you know, for earlier stage companies or even the creator economy for people creating their own social tokens to have their audiences kind of fund their development and growth. So the, the system is being disrupted in, in, in different manners for for projects kind of starting off earlier. So I think you're going to see more and more of it in, in what we in the last couple of years, the, the biggest influx for us was in seeing companies in the cannabis, psychedelics, and blockchain um, spaces or lithium or cobalt, like these, you know, very, very kind of forward-looking, um, uh, you know, innovative businesses are, are, are where we've, we've seen a big, 
glut of, of, of projects coming because they're not big enough for VCs or they don't have enough traction for VCs to, to, to invest in them. Um, and it's harder for them to get capital because their businesses are, they're not cash flow positive today. They're businesses that require a lot more risk capital to kind of, you know, to, to push them another, you know, one or two years before that they're at that stage. So, um, uh, you know, I think you're going to see more and more of, of startup companies or earlier stage companies looking at alternatives to, you know, to this, to this VC model. One question that kind of comes up then immediately is how should they work with the startups that are in their portfolio right now to make sure that they don't accidentally somehow disqualify themselves from being able to go public at a future date? Are there any missteps they can avoid or any, any structuring issues that would disqualify them? What should they keep in mind? Don't commit fraud. Like, you know, you make sure there's no really bad skeletons in the closet. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think there's, I think if, if it's a, if it's a business or, or, or an investment that's been, you know, keeping its books in order and is fully regulatory compliant, uh, it, it'll be eligible, you know, going public, you know, we're kind of talking with the positives. There's also a lot of, you know, challenges to it as well. And uh, I would say structure becomes really key. So, you know, as VCs are investing in their current portfolio, not that it won't make them eligible, but I think really the, the structure upon listing is key because you want to have a good base of supporters upon listing because then the share price can, can trade at a bit of a premium. It's, you know, got a tight structure, which helps the business use its stock as currency to roll up assets at a premium or raise money uh, on the, the equity markets at a premium. So, if you have a bad shareholder base um, that's going to, or, or a bad structure, that's one thing that it won't eliminate you from the listing, but it may make the experience um, more more negative because you're then focused on on fighting, you know, stock that's hitting the market um, immediately upon listing. Matt, anything to add to that from your perspective? Not nothing to add on mine. I think Chef Chef covered everything there. All right, fair enough. I'll pick up a question from the chat from actually Frank Sid. Um, he told me to ask you, Chef, about. CPCs, which are kind of the Canadians back versus buying a shell, like what, uh, what's your outlook? Like where, where's that industry going? Where's the growth or lack yeah, of growth? It's interesting because, you know, in the breakout session, we were talking about a portfolio company we had last year, we did an RTO now. So, which is, we use someone else's, you know, someone else's shell to, to spin that asset off. It worked out well, but there were tremendous challenges because that shell had, you know, a lot of older shareholders that, you know, had, you know, different cost bases that you know weren't happy with with that investment. So the company that was public had to spend a lot of time dealing with shareholders that wanted to just get out and sell their stock at any sort of case. So the challenge with buying a shell or going down this RTO method, a lot of times is who are you buying it from and, and what does the cap structure you know look like? CPCs are good in that uh, CPCs are, are are built from scratch. There's a three-year escrow. So anyone that builds this, the, the CPC, their stock is locked up for three years. So when you do inherit that or buy that or use that to vend your uh, or take your company public, uh, it can be strategic for two reasons. One, because it's the structures are generally better. Two, a lot of times what we look at, and we looked at this in Gamon's case, is we strategically brought in investment bankers that were positioned that are going to be strategic later on. And so in the case of the CPC, or it can be the case in the shell as well, where you're, you're strategically bringing people into that deal early to help on the, you know, the, the, the post market and, and, um, and to, to help the business do a following uh, financing direct listing is what we're doing for game on. So in Matt's case, you know, we're not using a shell or a CPC. You just hit the criteria of, of having, you know, 200, just over 200 uh, shareholders, um, you know, audited financial statements and and an approved listing uh, statement, and you can list directly, and you know exactly where every piece of you know a paper is. 
you know, I'd say if the, for us, direct listing is probably the preferred method, but if you're looking at a shell or CPC, CPCs are cleaner. You know, there, there's more tighter restrictions on kind of the, 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 the shares, which are good. But in both cases, whether you use a shell or CPC, we've always found it's strategic if you're going to go down that path to have a good partner that's going to bring, uh, have a tight structure, but bring good investors into both of those. So if you are, if you are going to do that, then you know that you're getting a, a really good support group that's going to help you know, post listing on fall on financings. Thank you for that. We're going to do the next round of breakout rooms. Quick policies, uh, no pitching, please. No hard pitching. We're not here to do that. We're here to learn and network and then no a-holing. Um, we also don't spend out, uh, send out a, a participant spreadsheet. So if you find somebody you want to stay connected with, uh, the best thing to do, frankly, swap details right then and there. We also do have a WhatsApp group, soon to be not a WhatsApp group, I suspect. We'll uh, have a little poll later. Um, but Isla, do you want to talk a little bit about breakout rooms and topics? Absolutely. So when you hop into the room, you might know a few people, you might not know others. So definitely feel free to introduce yourselves quickly. You'll be in a group of four, so you'll have enough time to do that in 10 minutes that you're in the breakout room. And I will give you all a question. I'll post it in the chat right now. And I'll also send that in the private um, rooms that you'll be in just a moment question we'll be talking about first is if you have a portfolio company that could potentially go public, would you be open to it? That's something you've considered and thought about. Please chat about all things your portfolio company is going public and how you would help them do that. We'll see that now and opening all rooms. We will see you guys back in about 10 minutes. Spotlight. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Hopefully you uh, met some interesting folks there. There, The, the chat has been blowing up and uh, Matt, I'm, I'm just going to share your story from the breakout room there. Before starting to go public with his own company, um, Matt had never bought a share of stock in his life, which I think is just awesome. Which then a lot of the questions in the chat are brass tax questions. So uh, Schaffner, Matt, whichever one you want to take it, to go public, what all is involved? You mentioned the 250K in expense. What do you need bare minimum revenue? Does there need to be like a, a roll-up strategy if you're super early? What are the actual ongoing requirements? Who are the hires? Have what is the expense load? Just kind of those brass tacks for people that are considering this as an option. Maybe uh, Shaft to you first, and you are muted again. By the way, our perspective generally we look at themes. So being in the in a, in a specific theme or sector. So on these you know smaller exchanges, revenue is not as important if you're doing something disruptive. So you know a lot of our portfolio companies are are are, are focused on this fourth industrial revolution. These are things that will take longer to let's say drive revenue. So the first thing I would say is the criteria looking at um, the theme or space or sector it, it's in, because if it's a traditional business model that let's say will grow at a, you know, at a reasonable rate, which is a great business, there might be a different path um, for that particular business. But, you know, you need 200 plus shareholders, which are very easy to come by now. You need to have audited financials and then you'll fill, you know, fill out a, you know, kind of a listing statement and you usually need to have one year of runway financed in advance or concurrent to uh, to your listing. So the requirements aren't, aren't necessarily crazy, but from our point of view, like if you're in the right theme or space, I think that's important too. Because it's early, a lot of times the companies that will perform well, I think are, again, apart from space or theme, the team, like that, that founding team or that board, uh, really looking at the board and the management team are very key because you want this to to trade well and you really need to have a founder or, or, or a board member that is willing to go and you know communicate the business's story. One side note I'll say is this was kind of a crash course we learned is when you're public, you actually have two companies. 
you have the operating business and you have the public company, which is focused on the share price. And so, you know, one of the things before listing is to really ensure that you, you have on your team, someone, uh, either a really good COO that can manage the operational side and the CEO would manage the market, or just, again, a, a very strong IR team or someone on the board that can, can help kind of navigate that. But I would say those are kind of like the things to think about. Uh, so ARR, MOR, those aren't necessarily really key or important uh, at the beginning, in my opinion. Matt, about what your perspective, um, what did you find you needed to put in place from very early stage startup to actually get through this process that you weren't expecting or were expecting? I think a, a partner like Victory Square was, you know, fundamental to us even considering this. Uh, and then really just building a, a, a board and a, and a team around you that that excel and, and are great at what they do. Like no longer, you know, can I as, as the founder of Game On be the you know one person in the middle of the ocean trying to do everything. Um, so you know the the access to capital helps with that, and so does the the tangible nature of the stocks. So we brought in a, an amazing board spearheaded by by Jay Moses, as as I've mentioned before. I also mentioned Santi uh, Haramio, who's our chief product officer, for, built Top Shot. Uh, and we keep doing that. We have a great advisory network. You know, Mike Warhouse, who was early in. DraftKings and Skills, um, Sean Hurley, who was head of Sportsbook at DraftKings, uh, Tim Cahill, who played, uh, represented Australia at four World Cups, also played for Everton. Like these are, these are people we've brought in all in the last few months that are great at what they do, can help us get in the door um, and can drive the business with me because a lot of my time now is going to be with investors and doing going public things. So, um, so I think that's what was really key for, for me was to, you know, work with a partner like Victory Square, uh, but then also surround ourselves with people who are great at what they, what they do and can kind of uh, run point on other parts of the business. I love it. I mean, startups are always about people, right? It's getting the right people at the 100%. right time. Yeah. Uh, so this is just that on steroids and in a much more compressed time frame, which is, it makes a lot of sense. Very cool. Uh, Ms. Graham, do you want to uh, do another round of breakout rooms? Yeah, let's do the last round here. Same, same game as previously, just the question is a little bit different. This time it's a bit of gossip. Um, we talked about companies that uh, might not be having revenue but still going public, but this one has definitely does have revenue and it went just public last week. Coinbase IPO, what does everybody think about it? How is it changing the universe? This is time to have an opinion. I will open the room right now and we will bring you back in for a short one, just in about six minutes or so. See you guys later. Thank you and welcome back everybody. Um, one last question, and then we're going to do a poll, by the way, we need you guys feedback because the WhatsApp group is at capacity, but one last question for Chef and, and Matt, uh, timeframe, start to finish. People want to do this. They're, they, they bought into everything you're pitching here. How long does it take, uh, from deciding to do it to live and Chef, and maybe you want to uh, kick it off? Yeah. So I would say the process would, you know, you would want to put between four and six months to be listed. It really depends on how, uh, you know, like the audit, like the audit is really the, the the biggest kind of challenge. A lot of startups don't have their books kind of in order, but if they do and they're organized, it could be done in as quick as 90 days. But we all say like allocate four to, you know, four to six months. Four to six months. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, Matt, is that what he told you with the start? And is that actually what, uh, what it ended up taking? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we 
we finalized the deal with Victory Square on, I think it was the first, first of, of December. And we're just a, a few weeks away now of listing. Uh, you know, but it's taken a lot, a lot of work and coordination from everyone in between and a lot, a lot of people, but we're, but we're on track. So watch this space. We'll, uh, we'll have some updates soon. <laughs> Love it. All right, guys. Um, so up next real quick. Uh, WhatsApp group. There's a link in the, the chat there, but then also there will be a follow-up email. Join us. Come, come, come chinwag. As a reminder, what we do is fund in a box. Um, so we help people spin up an alternative fund. We do it across a lot of asset classes, but in particular, digital assets and venture capital. Next week, can SPVs beat funds? We're going to talk all things SPVs. Um, so it should be an interesting one. In the meantime, thank you all. Come out next week, every Wednesday, 10 Central. Um, and as a reminder, if you know any people who are actively investing as LPs in alternative funds, we do have a sister event, which is invite only. Please do not hesitate to make those introductions. And so thank you, Shafin and Matt, for donating some of your time here today and everybody for coming out. See you all next week. All right. Have a good one, folks. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the Fireside Chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.